Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. All right. Well, good evening. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for being here tonight. We uh, are excited that you're here. We're starting a brand new Christmas series called Arrival. Uh, it's a series that we are doing, obviously, centered around the Advent season for Christmas. So as Pastor Jeff said, uh, we are taking the next few weeks to kind of celebrate Christmas. Some of you guys, it is your favorite holiday. Um, and and I, I'm a personal Thanksgiving guy myself, but I'm also a really big Christmas fan. I just, there are three Watkins household rules that we kind of hold to, two that are known pretty well and one that just goes unspoken. Uh, listen the first time, uh, be kind to everyone, and don't decorate till after Thanksgiving, right? The last one's kind of an unspoken rule that Emmy doesn't know that one super well, but the other two, memorize right down pat so but those are our three household rules that we kind of go by uh, in all honesty though I really do love Christmas um, the music has grown on me over the last couple of years I used to not really enjoy the Christmas music too much in fact uh, Jeff when we first really met I kind of poo-pooed on the music a lot and last year I told Jeff hey man if you have a cool playlist if you want to send it to me he was like what so I'm getting there right so it's a slow progression uh, for my my Scrooge Grinch heart gets get a little bit bigger, right? But all in all, I love, I really do love this, this time of the year for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and maybe if you kind of look around, right, not all the world celebrates Christmas the way that we do as believers, but there is this, I'm going to call it this, uh, this cultural Christmas or holiday season that really wherever you go, especially within the United States, you experience cultural Christmas sometime around Thanksgiving until the end of the year. And within that, this cultural Christmas that we experience, it kind of finds itself within the shadows speaking a, a worldview or a belief system into how you and I understand this time of year. Uh, another big word would be maybe your eschatology, but it's this belief system that our, cultural speak, that our culture speaks into, and unfortunately, I think it does more damage than good, but on surface, it looks really, really beautiful. And so let me give you some examples. One of the first things that our our cultural Christmas suggests to us or, or presents this idea to us is this, is this concept of togetherness, this idea of coming together. You see it in commercials, movies, songs. You see it woven throughout uh, print ads, media, all kinds of forms, this idea of togetherness. And obviously we support that. We just did an entire series called Better Together. But woven into the shadow of this idea of togetherness presents us almost falsehood of if you're not together in this way, you're doing something wrong. And for many of us, it creates almost this isolation reaction or this moment of loneliness if we're not careful. Because for some of us in the room, myself included, the holidays can be hard. You carry into this season maybe some baggage, some relational hurt, some things that for you are not always the easiest that are they come flushing back in in waves during the holiday season. And so when you see these commercials, these movies, and these songs, and they present this happy family coming together for a Christmas dinner, and yours is not spent that way, it causes this internal conflict of you. But our culture says that this is what it should look like, right? 
Or this idea of this is the year where your kids, when they open Christmas, right, they're just going to sit quietly. We're going to go one by one, open the gifts. It's going to be amazing. And five hours later, they won't be bored with whatever you gave them, right? This is the year where that happens. If you buy this toy, you will experience this kind of eternal joy in your household, right? It's these kind of messages that are woven into the shadows of our cultural Christmas. One of the other things that happens in our cultural Christmas, which is inevitably a good thing as we understand it as believers, but it gives us this falsehood of hope or of expectancy. I mentioned this in the first thing around togetherness, but for some of us in the room, there is legitimate relational strife that's happened during this time of the year or resurfaces during this time of year because by default, this is the time of year where that great uncle that you haven't seen in years, you're going to see and you guys had some negative interactions at various points, and so it's awkward, right? Or that mother-in-law that we all love very much, right? Or whatever the situation is for you, it brings into this idea that this year will be the year where it's all happy and great. I think about even how cultural Christmas suggests and puts forward the manger scene. I read something on Facebook this last week about there's a, a, a McDonald's in Tennessee that on the outside windows have a big mural of, of, the, of a manger scene. It was a big controversy about whether or not they should do it or not, right? And they were like, we're going to do it because we're Tennessee. We do what we want to do, right? But regardless, there is this cultural Christmas woven throughout whatever we do. And we as Christians view it, and, and it brings almost a sense of, of false alignment for us. If we're not careful, it suggests to us that this idea of expectancy, of hope, of togetherness, of relationship rebuilding, that it's a good thing because we know that there is a a Savior in the midst of that story, the centerpiece of that story, that makes all things happen. But what the world sees is something that ends up leaving people usually feeling more empty, void, fake, and causing some severe insecurities anxieties, depression. And so what I want to challenge us for the next three weeks during this Advent season leading up to Christmas is obviously I would love it if you would commit to be in our gathering specifically, but I want you to find a way every week to have one conversation with someone here in in the Awakened family as a way of encouraging them. Because if we're not careful, the power of community can quickly fall in the gaps because you've got Christmas parties for work, you've got these events with your family, you're traveling, you've got budget things going on because you're spending all this money on gifts, you're working extra hard, getting ready for the holiday season, a week off of work. Whatever the case is, you have a lot of things going on. And if we're not careful, these shadow cultural Christian things that I've just talked about, they begin to become cultural norms in your life instead of the truth that we find in Scripture, the truth of who we know God to be, And I want to encourage you, as we kind of take the next three weeks, we're going to examine specifically some characteristics or attributes of who God is. And these moments that we kind of come back together, as Pastor Jeff said, to kind of do a celebration, but also it's a reminder for us to look back into Scripture, look back into the truths that God reveals to us about who He is in the midst of these cultural Christian battles, sorry, cultural Christmas battles that we constantly are fighting up against. So I'm going to encourage you to commit to that. This week, we're talking about who God is as our deliverer. And I want to paint two pictures tonight kind of in contrast. And, but before we do that, I want to kind of explain why we've named this series Arrival. So you've probably heard of the word Advent before. It's a pretty common Christmas word. 
The word Advent literally means the coming of or the arrival of something or someone. And so obviously for us as Christians, as believers, followers of, of Jesus, that is the arrival and the coming of Jesus, God's Son, to earth. And so there's this arrival that takes place roughly 2,000 years ago, probably not in the dead of winter, shocking news, probably no Christmas trees, shocking news, probably no reindeer, but there's this arrival that takes place and kind of begins to start this new movement, this, this whole new way of life. And it begins, as Neil shared earlier, in the most unexpected way. And I think there's a similar story of kind of how this plays out in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. I'm really glad that Neil mentioned this even during our time of worship, that we're going to look back into the Hebrew Scriptures and kind of unpack some truths of who God is. We're going to do that a lot during this series as well, because there is this expectancy, this hope, this foreshadowing of who God is revealed through Jesus. But understanding what God's already been doing in his chosen people absolutely helps us understand who God is still today. So let's, if you will, we're going to turn, if you will, have a Bible or a Bible app. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to have a few verses from the beginning here. It's going to start in verse 8. It'll also be up here on the screen for you. So this is what Exodus 1.8 says. Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. So I'll stop right there for a minute. Joseph, if you're not familiar, is a pretty predominant key figure in Genesis. He is someone who, I'm not going to go through the full story, but eventually Joseph becomes the most uh, powerful man not named Pharaoh in Egypt. He basically is running the country because Pharaoh doesn't want to. He wants to enjoy the blessings of the king without doing the king's work. So that's where Joseph steps in and does all the work. Brings with him all of the Hebrew people. And in the process, they begin to avoid famine, enjoy prosperity. They begin to multiply. They begin to kind of grow as a people group all under the blessing of what God was doing in Joseph's life. The king that was basically working alongside of Joseph, who had basically given Joseph the, kings, the keys to the kingdom, as we read about in Exodus chapter 1, has now passed. Okay, so a new king has come to power, and he says to his people, the Egyptian people, probably a group of his rulers or people that are helping making decisions with him, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down and with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pitom and Ramesses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Just pause for one second, right? One of the greatest dangers, and I'm just going to rabbit trail for one quick second here, as a good reminder when we read passages like this, the church, the, the body of believers, and the chosen people, the Hebrew people, have usually, if not almost always, multiplied under oppression in a way that no one expects them to. It's when things become complacent and easy. Think about the Roman Empire. Think about us today, where it's just easy to be a Christian, where things become stale and complacent. 
But you look at other cultures, like in the Asian culture, or other communities where there is moments of oppression, and it's thriving. There is something about the Spirit of God that when, we, when, the, when the world and the forces of this world try to oppress the people of God, that God begins to multiply to something that no one expects it to do. That's what's happening here. See, sorry, I lost my, my uh, train of thought there. Blah, blah, blah. So let's see. Uh, so the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the works in the field, and they were ruthless in all their demands. So a generation or two has passed since Joseph has now kind of been in, in where he was at. A new pharaoh has basically pulled aside his leaders and said, Look, let's, let's do something different, right? Let, let's create a plan. There's this very conniving, secretive, deceptive spirit that you read about, right, when you think about this plan being taking place. And then something begins to happen. The, the Hebrew people not only go from being this blessing of a nation, they go from, from being this prospering community to now being the oppressed, to now being slaves, and in the most gruesome way slavery exists in our world, that's what we're talking about here. The Hebrew people now begin to only understand their worth and value through what they produce, not who they are. And this begins to happen for numerous generations. And so let's keep up the story again now in chapter 2, just a few verses later. It says, years pass and the king of Egypt had died. So that king who had put that plan into action has now passed away. It says, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their, and their cry rose up to God. God, hearing, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. Now, if you read this passage in Exodus chapter 2, just black and white off the page, and you just want to use your westernized vantage point of understanding it, you're going to miss so much of what really is happening here. Because the way I first read this passage, and maybe you do as well, is almost as if God's been asleep. All of a sudden, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot about those guys. They prayed, they cried out. Oh yeah, I did have a promise with them. Let me go take care of that, right? That's not what happens here, number one. God isn't this distant God. This is really important because as we're going to kind of parallel the story of Christ and what's happening in the, in the Hebrew people, it's very easy for us today in moments of oppression, in moments of when you feel like the world is up against you, when you feel like there is someone or something who has been plotting against you, when you feel these things come against you, it's very easy to feel like you're all alone, that no one hears you, that no one knows what you're going through, and basically you begin to fall into the traps, that that's where you're going to stay for a while. And this passage teaches us something very different. I want to give us three truths that we just read about in this passage that parallel with the story of Jesus and to our story today. The first one is that God knows. God's not surprised. He wasn't like, I don't know what's happening. He was absolutely aware of what was happening to the chosen people, his chosen people, at this point in time. And so if we're going to talk about God being our deliverer, understanding that God does know what you are going through is an important first truth. Because that's the first place that the enemy tries to attack us 
as human beings, but especially as believers, is that no one knows what you're going through. You're all alone. And although our situations and circumstances are different from each other, make no mistake that God's not asleep in the heavens just waiting for you to cry out and eventually wake up from a slumber and say, oh yeah, huh, I forgot about you. One of the things that happens so often for me and maybe for you too is in those dark moments, in those shadow moments, you begin to believe the lie that, you know what, God probably has something better to do. He probably doesn't know what's going on. He probably doesn't care about little old Philip. He's got something better to be doing. So this story reminds us that God knows what's going on. Number two, God hears. Man, I know in my life there have been seasons where I pray and pray and pray, and it feels like I am just talking to an invisible wall, I look crazy, and frankly, I feel crazy, right? But this passage reminds me, just like the story of Jesus reminds me, during this Advent season, we talk about the arrival of Christ, that God absolutely hears the cries of his people. That when we cry out to God, when we pray, that God absolutely hears us. And this leads me to the third promise, is that God begins to deliver. God intervenes. God begins to work. And this is the thing that frustrates you and I to no ends, is that if we're not careful, we expect God to know what we're doing, to hear what we're crying out for, and then begin to work in the way that we want him to do all those things. And when those things don't happen, we begin to, it causes doubt, it causes these insecurities. But in the story of the Hebrew people, God absolutely is beginning to go to work at the right time and the right moment. This story of deliverance is absolutely one that begins to paint a picture and a foreshadowing of how God begins to rescue his people. Part of how God begins to bring this deliverance, this answer to the cries of the Hebrew people, is through a man by the name of Moses. As we read through the next few chapters in the first part of Exodus, there's a man named Moses who, similar to Joseph, begins to rise up, just like Joseph did, becoming a very powerful man within the Egyptian world. Eventually, Joseph begins to understand his full identity, begins to... Uh, feel this tension and turmoil within who he is. And again, I'm just reading through the clip and note versions of the story here. If you want to go back and read it, I encourage you to do so. But eventually it leads Moses to this crossroads moment where he sees one of his Hebrew brothers being persecuted, being oppressed. And he goes and fights against the, the slave driver and eventually kills this man with his own two hands. If you thought the Bible was rated PG, it's not. Newsflash, right? Moses basically kills the man with his own two hands, thinks he gets away with it. And so a few days later, he's hanging out with some people, and he mentions something, and the Hebrew man said to him, what, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian guy? And he realized he's been seen. So he flees. He runs out, and he begins to basically be a shepherd. And in the process, God meets him where he's at through the story of the burning bush. And in that, Moses begins to argue with God, speaking to him, basically saying, you don't understand, I have a stutter. Well, I'm not good enough. Well, and he, every excuse he has, God says, I know, that's why I'm here. 
I know. I'm doing it for you. Well, what happens about this? Well, I know. I'll send Aaron with you as well. He's an idiot. He'll mess it up for you a few times, but we'll get through that together, right? At every point in the message that, that God is speaking to Moses, God is not saying, Moses, you can do it. God's saying, I'm going to do it. And that truth is also important because the story of Christmas is not one of you and I, we can do it. It's a reminder that God did do it. He did send Jesus. Jesus did live a perfect life. Jesus did teach us what it means to go and to be amongst other people. What it means to go and be love and grace and truth and, and kindness. What it means to go and be a miracle to a people group. To go and be to be present with people who need presence. To eventually then become obviously the one who would then pay the price for us on the cross. There's this parallel of the story that's so important. So eventually Moses goes back, right? Has a conversation with the Pharaoh that he knew pretty well. He and Pharaoh kind of go back and forth. There's then these plagues, which again, not, not here to talk about the, the whole story of Red Moses, but there's this there's this uh, battle that goes on between Pharaoh, who thinks he's God, which was always funny to me why Pharaohs thought they were God, because they kept dying, right? Like, why would you want to worship a God who dies every couple of years, right? That doesn't make sense to me. But regardless, there's this cosmic battle that's taking place. And eventually Pharaoh gives up and lets the people go. I just, like, if you want to, like, read the whole story, you can read it. You can watch Christian Bale do it, right, in the... Wasn't he in the movie about Moses? Was, didn't he play Moses at some point? Who was it? No, no, not the old one. Sorry, Lisa, not trying to show your age. Like, wasn't there a recent version of Moses? <laughs> wasn't there a new, like, was it, was it Christian Bale or something? Thank you. All right. Sorry, Lisa, I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus, but I wasn't trying to go back to that movie, The Ten Commandments, right? I'm going to get killed for that one later. All right, so, yeah, so, so anyway, what happens is obviously in that moment, Pharaoh lets the people go. Then he feels the sense of pride. He sends his, uh, his chariots, right, to chase after them. And then let's pick up the story here in Exodus 14. This is where I want to kind of land the plane this evening. It says, But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, and the water stood up like a wall on both sides. This is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hands of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the God uh, had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in the servant Moses. So what does this have to do with Christmas? There's something profound about recalling or remembering moments of where God has delivered us or where God has delivered his people. Because if you're like me, when I go through dark moments and I'm alone, it's easy for me to forget. It's easy for me to quickly forget not only what God has done in my life, which should be enough, by the way, because there's a lot there of what God's done. But I also forget there's a 
history and a heritage and a legacy that I'm a part of serving the same God who has been a redeemer, a savior, and a deliverer for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Whether or not every part of this story is historically accurate or not, I don't care. The story here about God being a deliverer is one that brings hope to me. And it's a foreshadowing of what we now read about in the Christmas story. So let's read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God is a deliverer. One of the things that I need truth of in this season of Christmas is that God delivers his people from the dark places. Because whether or not you walk into this space feeling oppressed, whether you feel like you've been going through things this last calendar year that have brought a lot of turmoil in your life, maybe that Pharaoh who plotted against his people, maybe you've had something happen in your life where you feel like there have been things plotted against you this year and you're the recipient of a manipulative or conniving plan. Regardless of where you find yourself feeling in this story, the truth is for all of us that although God externally delivered his people, and the Hebrew people, God sends Jesus to eternally deliver us. That God does both. And I forget that. It's easy for me as a good Christian boy who was raised in the church to know that God delivers us through the power of the sin on the cross. I know that story at the back of my hand, and I've honestly become so numb to it that I need to have it beaten into my head so many times during this time of the year and during the Easter season. But one of the things that helps reset me and helps bring alignment to my life is when I see that God not only spiritually saves me, but God is absolutely in the business of saving and delivering his people through real life stuff. That God's not asleep upstairs waiting around for just eternity to save me. That God absolutely is a proactive God who hears his people, knows what's going on, and is at work right now in ways that you and I don't understand or can't see saving us. We have this perspective, especially during the Christmas season, right? That it's all okay and things are great. But man, Christmas can be hard. I lost my dad when I was a teenager, man. Holidays suck for me some years. Some years are okay, some years are not. I'm a divorced pastor, man. Holidays can suck for me sometimes. They can be hard. But I'm not here to throw a pity party. I'm here to tell you a story that God is taking the spiritual sandpaper and, and reminding me in these moments that I am a God who delivers. I want to bring up these last three things that we talked about just a few minutes ago. They're so simple, yet they're so profound for me right now. That God absolutely knows my story, God knows your story. He knows when there's been moments of oppression, whether they've been brought on by your own actions, your own sins, or by other people. God knows the oppression you felt in your life, externally or internally. That God hears you, that your prayers don't fall on deaf ears. 
the power of the story of Jesus is that he eventually rises back up to join his Father in heaven. And the scriptures say that he is interceding. He's praying for you and I right now to his Father, interceding on our behalf, that our prayers are heard. And that I need to be reminded that God externally and spiritually is a God who delivers his people. Man, it's easy to watch Christmas movies and think about the hope or this expectancy of how all things work together, right? Whether it's a Red Rider, a BB gun, a bonus that you're expecting from your boss to buy that swimming pool, right? I don't know what it is for you, but I know for me that most of what I share tonight is not new information, but it does something to my spirit when truth is spoken back into my life. My goal as one of your pastors, as the teaching pastor here, is not to deliver some magnificent new revelation to you every week. My hope is to peel back a piece of what God's doing in my life, expose a little bit of what God is stirring in my heart, and maybe parallel that with some alignment that maybe you can experience in your life. Because like I've shared, the holidays don't always end up at the Christmas dinner where everyone gets along, where the kids open the gifts and it's simple bliss in the household. Where mom and dad don't fight about budget. Where there's no like amazing Lexus with a big bow waiting outside. I don't know how that happens anyway, right? If you're married, like how do you buy a car? Anyway, that's a whole other story. That's not how God works. How God does work is he takes these moments for us and breathes in the still small voice. I know. I hear, and I am delivering. Not I will deliver, not one day I'll get around to it. I am in the work of delivering you right now. You may not see it all play out. You may not see it all in your perspective right now in this moment, but I promise you that as I, even a few years removed from going through my divorce, I've already seen in the midst of how God I press into him how God delivers me in these moments. Not because of anything I do other than just show up and try and make it through every day. Tonight and during this holiday season, do not let the shadows of the cultural Christmas dictate your story. It will leave you feeling empty and void. There is truth here that God sent his son to save his people from the sins of the earth. And if that story doesn't stir up something within you, that God is a God who delivers, that my God, your God, is a God who is a deliverer, I don't know. Come back next week. Maybe someone else will stir your heart. I don't know. I want to encourage you tonight. You're not alone. You're battling oppression, anxiety, depression, guilt, 
separation, loneliness. Wherever you are, God knows, God hears, and God delivers. Tonight, we're going to continue worshiping through these uh, responsive stations. And I'm going to pray over these stations here in just a second, but I just want to encourage you before we do that, every series we reset the cross. In case that's, that's news to you, but every series we pull the sticky notes off and allow, obviously, space for new ones. And the reason why we do that is because we save those and pray over things that, that's happened, right? And, and I get the chance every now and then to read these, and I don't know who wrote them, right? Some of them are mine. And I look back and think, man, God delivers. So maybe tonight, as a part of your responsive station, whether it's sitting down and writing on the back of your program or looking to the cross and writing it there, I want you to think of a moment, recall a moment for you in your life where you've seen God deliver something for you. It's so hard in those moments of oppression to stop and look back at the pillars of deliverance. But it's in those moments where God reveals his true character to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for you are a God who delivers. You are a God who knows and a God who hears. You're not asleep. You're not waiting around for me to make enough noise, throw the biggest temper tantrum. You're already at work. You love us as your children. And you desire for us in the moments of darkness, when the world seems like it's caving in around us, you desire for us to look back at you because I know, God, I am not my deliverer. I cannot save myself. And I need to be reminded that I serve a God who is, who was, and will be forever and ever my deliverer. God, would you speak that truth into our hearts? Would you make this Christmas season one that reminds us that you are a God who breaks through the cultural, empty, false belief systems and says, I am a God who delivers. God, would you make that cling to our hearts in this season? Would we find people to speak truth to us and over us in this Christmas season? And may we as your people be reminded that we are not alone, that you deliver not just one of us, but us as your bride, not only for eternity's sake, but now on this side of heaven as well. In Jesus' name, amen.